So we're going to talk about releasing the Father's love, which I think we just did there, um, family love there. But uh, we're going to talk about the Heavenly Father's love a little bit. And um, there's some new dimensions of this that I've been walking in lately. For years and years we've talked about this particular subject. It's uh, not just a subject, it's, it's the heart of the gospel. It's uh, learning to receive God's love is at the big basis of everything that we do. And... Um, and so there's just uh, lots of things to say about the Father's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I thought about that for many ways. It's literally true that He gave His only Son, but can you imagine uh, this Son born into the world and then crucified on a cross and God allowing it all the while for us? I mean, as cute as this little one is, uh, Jesus was cute too, more than cute, right? To totally blameless and holy, yet killed by the authorities. And God allowed the whole thing for the likes of you and me sitting here. We all look dressed in our right mind, but we haven't been <laughs> at some point in our life, right? How God just takes us and reorders us and puts us on solid ground and puts the pieces back together again. God truly does love us, right? And I want to talk about releasing the Father's love because it seems that there not only does God do nice things for us, but He also releases compassion on the inside of us. And feeling love on the inside of us is one of the most wonderful feelings, uh, delightful things in your whole life. And then loving from that place of being loved is something that God offers. And I want to just read a little bit about this uh, from the scriptures and uh, various contexts. Where I'm going to kind of land is um, in discipleship. In other words, how we walk with God. It's one thing to know the scriptures. It's another thing to know love, right? So hopefully those two come together. To know what you ought to do, but then to do it freely with out of an open, generous heart. And one of my biggest goals in my life is, is to be generous. But uh, generosity isn't that easy sometimes. It has to sort of come from the inside out. And it comes from feeling God's love. love God's love motivates us. It he, he comes and He loves us, and then we love others. We love, the Bible says, because He first loved us. So it's the most important subject. Not only that we love, so most churches, most places talk a lot about what we ought to do, but what I found in my own walk with the Lord is when I began to feel God's love for me, that's when the love started pouring back out toward others from me. Many of us have difficult time with that because of maybe the way we were raised or perhaps a tragedy that happened in our life that uh, so upset us and we are maybe a difficult space and we're really having a hard time connecting or believing that God really loves us uh, or wants to know us or has anything to do with us. Sometimes we get so low we just don't even think we have a purpose anymore. And there's nothing that could be farther from the truth. So as I talk about the Father's love for us, I'm also talking about not only information, but I'm talking about an impartation. I'm hoping the Lord will release that impartation to us today. A sense of awareness of God. There's nothing quite like an awareness that God loves you, very, very specifically and individually. This is one of the greatest uh, feelings, one of the greatest things that can happen to a person. And I didn't know a whole lot about that after years of Christianity until one fine day, which I'll probably describe. <laughs> and it sort of broke the whole thing open for me, and I just stumbled across the vineyard, and some amazing things happened. Maybe I'll get that story in a little bit. I've told most of that through the years, but... I just want to turn to the scriptures first. Let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and, friend, uh, and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. That's a really important thing. It sounds obvious. 
But love comes from God. Yes, we know theoretically love comes from God. But have you received some love from God lately? That's the key issue. I mean, that you can tangibly feel. When we get in troubles and situations in our life, sometimes we just feel isolated and alone. We feel like God's a million miles away, depending on the situation and what we're going through and what the issue is. One of the biggest tricks of the enemy is to cut you off from feeling that you're going to be okay or that God actually cares about what happens to you. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Interesting. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So knowing God means that you need to know love as well, right? Experiencing God's love is a spiritual, supernatural encounter with God's presence. 1 John 4, 3-10. Let's read from there. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? And uh, let me just keep going here. Um, I think actually what I need to do is I need to skip on down to verse 10. I don't want to do that. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. So that's the cycle, right? This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His own Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So when that love comes, then we begin to love one another. How do you know our nation could lose, use a little bit of loving one another right now, right? And even in the body of Christ, even in the church, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So complete. So we may know God loves us, but when we love other people, the circuits close. We, we've just completed the circuit. We kind of completed the, the arrangement. I'm read that again. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen it, and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. So, this is critical, and there's Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read a few more verses here, just to help us sort through this subject a little bit. It's maybe the most important subject of our life when it comes right down to it, right? It's the place that all of us want to be. That's what I'm going to be describing as believers. Romans 5, 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that perseverance produce, the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God likes to pour out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So how is it that we can go long spans of time without feeling in touch with God? feeling like he's a million miles away. If there's anything that we should be feeling, no matter what, even if we have to be persevering, even if whatever is happening in our life, Lord, always there's love. Because God pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given us. So that's our rightful place. In Romans 8, 14, 16, something that we talk about a lot over in this church. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Oh my goodness. How much slavery is in the world right now? It may not be formal slavery, but many, many people right now are enslaved to fear. And that's what's causing many problems that we're facing in every arena, in every area of life. 
all the way from the highest politics right down to ordinary living, being stuck in fear. You see, the Spirit doesn't make us slaves, because that's what fear does, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption as sons, to sonship. You know, look at this baby. He's just so cute. I mean, you know, you just want to hug him and kiss him and everything, right? Even if he's not your own, right? That's the way the Father is with us, but we don't have that concept. And the enemy does his best to talk us out of that concept because if you know that, that God just wants to kiss you and love you and hug you all the time. As cute as that baby was up here. Oh, he's just a baby, right? He's a baby. He's supposed to be cute. No, no. You're cute too. Everybody's a baby. No, really. I'm not sure where we got this concept that we're just so grown up, right? The one that's lived through the millennia, right? And all those generations have gone before us. We're just a little speck. We're little kids, right? In the end. And then it says, and by him we cry. And that cry word is an animal cry. It's a very loud, vociferous word. It's not like, hey. It's like, ah, we cry. Abba. That's the word for daddy. Daddy. It even seems out of place. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Which is fine. But also, there's a daddy part to God that's really important. We see it here. And by him we cry. Abba, Father. So the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him, by who's Him? By the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. So when we get saved, we come to know Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, and the deepest cry of the Spirit in any person's life needs to be, Daddy. See, God is Daddy. It's the most profound concept in the whole Bible that we can call God Daddy. We did it because... We can do that because of what Jesus bought for us at the cross and because of God's great love for us. And because of the activity of the Holy Spirit, which is alive, the very God that comes and lives on the inside of us when we get saved, right? The Spirit himself testifies. And that word's the word martyreo, which is um, the word we get martyr from. It's a strong testimony that we are God's children. Have you heard it? Have you heard that testimony? The enemy of your soul and the world at large tries everything it can do to stamp out that call on your life that you know God is daddy and daddy knows you. Everything around our culture, everything around the world, the spirit of the world will do anything and everything to stamp that out of you, that you never connect with God in an intimate way, that you can never can hear, feel like he's your daddy. We feel guilty because of sin, condemnation. The enemy has every kind of plan. I do mean the enemy of your soul. He brings every kind of blockage you can imagine, bad memories, things that have happened to us, physical, emotional pain, whatever it is, right? But this is the the critical thing. The critical thing is in these verses. To know God is to freely receive his love, and then from that space, give it to others. And we see various examples uh, through history, and I have uh, some of these examples here. Um, One of them is uh, uh, this book that I I read a lot to my uh, Life in the Spirit class. And... uh, her name is Bilquis Sheikh, and she's one of the most amazing um, authors. I think she's probably dead by now, but she wrote this book a number of years ago, and she was actually a Pakistani a woman of some royalty, not royalty, but high class. And uh, her husband had divorced her, and she was broken. And one day she's walking along, and she sees a Bible that's laying uh, on a counter. One of her servants had brought it in, and of course you're not supposed to have a Bible anywhere you know, in Pakistan especially amongst the aristocratic class. But uh, she couldn't help it. She took that Bible and she just began to read a little bit. 
And as she began to read it a little bit, she got more and more curious. And so she began to compare things, right? Uh, the Bible and the Koran. And then finally she found out that she only knew of one Christian and it was a nun. And the nun uh, was in the hospital and she had happened to be at the hospital. And so she knew this nun and she asked her some things about Christianity. And, uh, and so... Um, it got her curiosity, and she began to look, and she began to read, and the Holy Spirit began to disciple her, right? And the thing that she came down to as she was reading the Bible is the tenderness of God, that God would, so unlike her Islamic background. And, uh, and so she wrote this book, and the book was called, I Dare to Call Him Father, because that's where she came down to. The God led her to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Each one of them she met independently, and the dominant thing about the father was the father's love. Her father had always been good to her. She'd been through a horrible divorce and her heart was broken. But her own dad had been really good to her. So thinking of God as her father helped her find Jesus. And then Jesus helped her find the Holy Spirit. She literally by herself went through these various phases and then began to, then from there found a church that was just a little home group in town and began to walk with God. And the father part of it was the most dynamic part of it. The, the nun that she met in the hospital says, well, why don't you just talk to God as if he were your father? And she had loved her father, you know, so much. He'd been so good to her. And it's like it shot something through her soul. She never forgot it. So she began to read the Bible and find the father that way, independently of anybody else, began to find the father. It's an incredible book. I talk about it in my class, Life in the Spirit class. And this experience she went with the love of God is something that we talk a lot about here because we realize that the love of God is an explosive thing. It's the most powerful thing in the universe, not so from a distance, like for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not just theologically, but as an experience that God so loved, that God so loved you, that not only does God love you when you get right with him in the cross, but that God has an experience with you. God has an emotional experience with you that would be the same as if someone loved you, only it's his supernatural love. And it's far more pervasive, I've found, than anybody else's love, far more dynamic. Janice, could you give me that piece of paper there that's got uh, Finney on it and Moody? All through the years, um, yeah, that's the one. All through the years, uh, thank you. Um, in church history, as you look through church history, we see great movements and changes and revivals and Often there are people who stand up and are at the forefront of those things. And as you look through church history, one thing you'll find is you read about their life and you find that many of them had some sort of encounter with God or was so dramatic and so much love in it that uh, you know, they, they got to this place of, of uh, intimacy with the Lord. And uh, they put it, gave it different names and stuff. But I just want to read a couple of these characters in the Bible some great evangelists from the last century, one's named Charles fin Finney. And he had this experience, and um, as I read this experience, I want you to know, the congregation, that many of us in this room have had this experience, or these kinds of experiences, including me. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But So he says, I returned to the, he's a great evangelist, right? So he's well known, preaching the gospel everywhere. I returned to the front office and found that the fire that I had made of large wood was nearly burned out. But as it, I turned and was about to take a step by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. And a baptism literally means a, an immersion of the Holy Spirit. He was immersed in the presence of God. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind there was such a thing for me, 
Without any recollection that I'd ever heard of the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. So I've experienced this, and I'll get to me in a little bit later, but not just once, not just twice, but many times. And uh, it's very habit-forming. <laughs> it's hard to explain even uh, how God could get you that way. And sometimes I've asked God, literally, how are you doing this? I didn't ask you to do this. I just feel your presence everywhere. I remember when I was a kid, I was 15 or 16 years old, and I, I was 15, I think. I was working in the bottom of McDonald's, and I was in a particularly bad mood uh, because they were making me move all the meat around the basement. It was cold down there, and I was freezing my tail off. I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body, but I knew the Lord. And all of a sudden, in the down there in the basement of McDonald's, I hadn't thought about this in years, I felt the love of God everywhere. It was just filling up the whole room. Down in the basement of McDonald's, moving meat around, right? And I'm sitting there like I'm 15 years old, and I'm thinking, I knew it was God. It's unmistakable. I said, how? I'm, I'm saying out loud because I'm by myself. How are you doing this? I feel love everywhere. How? How? How is? Wow! I was in a really bad mood. I I feel pretty good now. But but how are you doing this? I'm looking around. I'm literally saying this out loud, right? I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to be coming waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can re recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad on my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love, and I do not know, but I should say I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect, I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, yet I had no fear of death. He was literally being loved to death, I guess, right? I just love you to death. You know, my mom used to say that, you know, which sounds weird, doesn't it? <clears throat> In other words, intensely, right? Here's another story of another famous uh, uh, evangelist, D.L. Moody. Mr. Moody went east to New York City to collect funds for the sufferers from the Chicago fire, but his heart and soul were crying out for power from on high. My soul was not in the work of begging, said, says he. I could not appeal. I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it, seldom referred to it as almost too sacred an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be as small, it would be as the small dust of the balance. So I know it sounds strange in a way. It's almost as if the spirit is attacking these people, right? And he does that still. So I think that a lot of us love to think about the God's power and how it attacks us, or God's revelation, how it comes on us, and these epiphanies. But this love thing is a thing. It's altogether different. And uh, the Spirit certainly puts love in a specific place in the Scriptures, a, a dramatic place. But this encounter with the love of God, I've experienced a number of times. And as a matter of fact, it's responsible for getting me into the vineyard in the first place, right? 
And through a series of circumstances, you know, I'd been sort of a charismatic believer and we'd ended up here in Southern California. We we're actually basically trying to figure out what to do next because we had planted a church in Hawaii and I was over a whole area of missions in, in, um, in uh, Asia and we decided to move to Los Angeles because it was easier for us to reach Asia from Los Angeles than it was where we had lived before in Hawaii, believe it or not, because of the plane routes and there were more people and it was just uh, more strategic for us. So we moved to Los Angeles. So in my mind, what I was going to do is I'm just going to oversee this organization for Los Angeles. So we began to do that, right? And I began to travel and stuff, but uh, came time to find a place for a home church and we didn't quite know what to turn. It gets very, very lonely doing the Lord's work without a home church. So we were doing the Lord's work, but it was very lonely. It was really the worst times of my life because I was on, had all this responsibility and seeing all kinds of crazy things happen in Asia. But but I, when I came home, there was no place for us to really land, so we tried various churches out. And, and then Janice found a home group from the vineyard in Pasadena, from Anaheim Vineyard. And she began to meet people and tell me about this place. And then we went uh, to the vineyard, and uh, I thought it was a really powerful, wonderful place. But to me, it was rather odd, because I'd come from a char- charismatic Pentecostal background. But I, it's amazing because there was power in that and we were all full of faith and we saw healing and everything, great things. But this place was different. It was odd. I couldn't put my finger on it, you know. And John Wimber would give these calls for people to come to Christ and, uh, and he would start with, okay, everybody that's struggling with homosexuality, come to the front. And I'm thinking, nobody's going to come up. You know, 50 people will come up. Then he'd say, everybody that's having trouble with lust, why don't you come up? Another 150 people. And by the time he got done with the altar call, I'm thinking, this is the most perverted group of people at church. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? And I'm thinking, this can't be real. And then I'd watch them, and they would be weeping and crying, laid out on the floor, crying with all their heart, you know. And people would be, then people would come and pray for them. And they'd be weeping and crying. And they'd be a mess all in the front, all the time. This happened all the time, you know. I'm watching this, just the honesty and the and intimacy. And and I thought, this is amazing. This is wonderful. But I, I was always sort of on the outside looking in, trying to figure out. I'm thinking, this must be a different culture. This is the most emotionally unbalanced group of people <laughs> I think I have ever met, Right? And then the sort of expressions that they would do, uh, you know, of worship and praise, you know, how they would move their hands and, you know, and then they put their hands up and they go like this with their hands. And I'm thinking to myself, put your hands up, put it down, but that's your doing is really distracting. Why are you doing that? This is the kind of person I was. I'm just gonna. And so I came from a Hebrew hoedown kind of place where we would, you know, do this. But this was all disorganized and confused and people laying out. Then he give us all their call. Okay, for all you that are struggling with, you know, uh, lust and pornography. And, uh, and then 500 men would come up. And I go, my goodness, that's incredible, you know. But then I'm watching. They're all repenting and they're crying. And he would, it was just so amazing. So I couldn't quite figure out what was really happening. And I've been in the church all my life and had been now in the ministry and seen great power and healing in various places where I've been and nations. God was using me. But this was different, you know. So I kept coming closer to the fire because it was cur- maybe curious. So we eventually moved down here. And, uh, and then I was met Eddie Purick and, and I knew that he was the vineyard down here. So I thought, well... You know, maybe we thought about going to the church because we just desperately needed a home and I needed a, the kids to be okay and wife to be okay and me to have a home church and all that. But didn't know what to think of, you know, that church in Mission Viejo, but we started attending a little bit. 
And then came the thing, came the line to draw, and you know, okay, what are we going to do? He's going to do a newcomer's welcome at his house. So, okay, so I had a choice, because my friend from Switzerland, Martin, had come, and he wanted to go and see an Angels game. He had never seen a baseball game, American baseball game, so he actually became the leader. <laughs> he actually became the leader of all the vineyards, and still is, of, of uh, the German-speaking part of Europe, right? So he wants me to go to this baseball game, and I'm thinking, I, you know, I must rather, believe me, I'd much rather go to the baseball game. So I was all set to go to the baseball game, and I felt something deep inside of me tell me, go to that newcomer's meeting. It was actually called a new believers meeting, I thought, which is humiliating to me. I'm thinking, where am I going to go to that, you know? And I'm having this argument with God, and Martin's egging it on. He's like, come on, no, you don't want to go. Where are you going to go to the newcomer's believer, new believers thing for? And I just felt like I should go. Fatal mistake, fatal mistake. It turns out that in that meeting, the Holy Spirit fell on me. So I was the kind of person, you raise your hands or you put them down. You raise your hands, you know, or whatever, you know, fine, that's okay. And I thought if I was really doing good if I jumped up a little bit or got a little bit excited. But this whole thing in the vineyard was a whole different thing, right, you know. So I'm going to this meeting, I'm kind of standing on the back, you know, and they start this worship. And John Barnett was leading worship, and he's leading worship, you know, and I'm standing right next to him, right. And my hands began to shake to my absolute terror, I mean horror, but just they began to shake. And I went, <laughs> I put them down, right? And I thought, what am I doing? I'm becoming just like, this must be a disease or something. What in the heck? What's going on here? I put my hands up and they began to shake, you know. I, maybe I'm just being a copycat, but I, it was unmistakable. And I thought, well, when it's safe, I lifted my hands up and then again. But I wasn't trying to, and I'm thinking, why am I doing? <sighs> I finally just gave, okay, fine, whatever. Bad mistake. Don't ever say whatever. I opened the door that much for the Holy Spirit. Just that much. That's all I had. Okay, whatever. Right. And before I knew it, I was shaking, trembling my entire body. And I fell right over John Barnett's, right as I was headed for his guitar. Man, I'm headed, man, down. And he pulled it out right the last minute. And I got lodged, not on the couch, not under the couch, but in the couch. And I stayed that way for an hour, just shaking and trembling uh, under the power of God. And then the worst part of all, I started crying like a baby for no apparent reason. And I could not figure it out. I came home, I'm walking around, and like I just like, oh, this thing. And then two days later, I get a phone call, and John Wember wants to see me. And some of you know this story, and so... What ends up happening is I'm eating lunch, trying to figure out how to get out of this vineyard thing with my friend Martin. And, and while we're eating lunch, the Spirit of God fell on me while I'm eating lunch. Most of you know this story, you know many of you know, and fell on my friend Martin. And we started trembling and shaking in our seat. And then I couldn't stay in my seat anymore, and I fell under the table. He screamed. And nobody was praying. John, all John Wimmer did the whole thing was he didn't even pray. He just ate. That's all he did. He was just eating. That's all he did. He didn't pray. He didn't say boo. He didn't, he didn't do nothing. And then finally, after like a half hour of us under the table, he got done eating. He looked at us and he says, uh, Lord, I receive these two as my sons. Like that. And then we crawled out of the table, up from under the table. See, we had both gone to that meeting to leave the vineyard, to resign. And we ended up joining. But I didn't know that's what it took to join. If I'd have known that, I probably wouldn't have got anywhere near that room, right? <laughs> but what happened is, okay, we can recognize the spirit, right, of falling, but what really happened 
which was changed my whole life, is the spirit of love. The love of the Father fell on me. And I didn't know what to give it words. Eddie, thank God, was nearby, and he kept explaining things to me, right, about the love of God. I didn't know that God loved like that. I, I didn't know these, these things that I've just read, uh, these waves and waves of liquid love. I, I had no idea that that was in God. That, and, and so what happened was that moment, uh, the Lord tenderized me. And so I became like Ferdinand the Bull. Anybody know what Ferdinand the Bull is, you know? And I felt, never felt so feminine in my entire life. It was so incredibly embarrassing because I couldn't stop the crying. I couldn't stop the shaking and trembling. And um, it was just uh, so dramatic. Even as I think about it, I, I, I tear up because I, I, I just got ambushed like these guys and uh, others. And as we began to study through history and stuff, we realized this. This isn't, I wasn't the only one, thank God, that there's a lot of people through history that had the same sort of experiences with God, including, of course, these descriptions that we read in the Bible that are, are just there, but when, they, when you begin to have these sort of experiences and you begin to experience the love of God, all of this begins to take on new meaning, right? In other words, even the scriptures that I read, uh, when you read from Romans and these other passages, they all make sense now. They all, uh, there must have been a huge dose of the love of God in those scriptures, and it helps us understand where they were coming from. 1 John 4, verse 13, This is how we know that we live in Him, and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And then look at this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. That's the key. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in them lives in God, lives in love. Whoever lives in love, sorry, lives in God and God in them. Okay, so you can see I could say that and say, yeah, good word. But experiencing that, living in love, is a whole other thing. I didn't know you could experience love. I mean, I'm, I'm loving, I'm kind to my wife and kids and good person, and, and I feel kind of good from God every once in a while, but... The way I was experiencing it, these words are now, you know, when I'm reading these words from the Scripture and everywhere I read in the Scripture, they, now they begin to jump out at me because it must have been truly the experience of the early church to have, we all know about the signs and wonders and the miracles, but this love that they're describing as they're writing through the Scriptures is, the, and is another thing that I don't think a lot of the church has seen, but now I think God is pouring out more and more. This is how love is made completeness so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like... Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. I just didn't know there was that much of to love you. And so I began to change. I began to get more tender and soft. Still working on all that, but still, nevertheless, I think it was a great improvement. I don't know if I think my wife does too. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And that's exactly what began to happen to me. It wasn't that I was unloving. I just uh, hadn't experienced it on that level. Especially we love because he first loved us. I didn't know how much was in the container. Like, I think many of us have had this experience just in terms of the Bible itself and, and the Lord, as we came come to the Lord, maybe some of us came from more evangelical backgrounds. 
And, you know, and, and we see in the Scripture healing everywhere. And Jesus did that. And we would fight to the death. Anybody who would try to talk us out of, that God heals today, because He does, we know He must heal. Some have made a whole doctrine out of He doesn't heal today because it was just for the first century and those miracles weren't for today. But that's kind of weak. I think anybody just sort of looking at the subject knows that maybe the gist of scriptures were supposed to do the works of Jesus, so that's what he called us to do. But actually to do those works and to be involved with it and see the supernatural was a big step for a lot of us. This baptism of the Holy Spirit sort of kicked that off for me, but I'm just saying that in addition to this being immersed, and I teach about this in my Life in the Spirit class, come, we're, we're going on, we're getting some interesting territory. We do it on Wednesday nights, and uh, this coming Wednesday night we'll be here. I, I do the class right there and just show up, you know, and uh, you can hang out with us. And so we talk about these, these subjects, but, uh, but the love part is the part that uh, is what I'm just sort of focusing on. So I think a lot of us can identify with taking a journey into believing that God still heals, that demons are real, that angels are real, prophecy is real. But this journey into love is a whole other journey. And depending on who you are, some of you are closer than others, but if you were a hard head, hard heart like me, it was quite a fall and quite a <laughs> quite a undoing. You know, I just sort of had to redo my self-image and everything, you know. Becoming like Ferdinand the Bull is, if you've ever read that little book, is perfect example, you know. All of a sudden this bull is supposed to be uh, is going around giving flowers and sniffing flowers and walking around on his toes and... Has anybody else read that book? You're looking at it like nobody's. Has anybody read that book? Highly recommend you read that book because some of you are probably going to become like him. It might be helpful. So look at your outline, Roman number two. Staying in God's presence is the key to fulfilling God's commands, and most of his commands revolve around loving others. So when we look at 1 John chapter 4, 19, we love because why? He first loved us. Oh, you're still with me. Okay, good. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. But why do we love? We love because He first loved us. So if you literally experience love from God, then you can love others. I'm just going to say something really specific here about marriages and families. It's very difficult to love a husband, love a wife without the love of a father. If you got in a hard space or in a hard space in your marriage, let me just tell you, you may have run out of love from God first. Because when love begins to burst in your heart, and if it can be in the other heart, person's heart as well, then it's very difficult uh, to have an estrangement, have a divorce, have a breakup. It says that Christianity doesn't address this experientially much. So we have these emotional needs and um, deep down needs and stuff, but we don't know where to find help. We don't know where, to, and, and we have a hard time expressing love as well. Well, when he first loved you, when he loved you in the way I'm talking about, as we see through the scriptures and, and the experience of other people, what happens is you begin to love other people in a level you couldn't. And it's great for marriage especially, right? But we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. How is it that a husband and a wife can get to a place where they can actually begin to hate each other? Right? Something's gone wrong, even in the church. I'm just going to say the thing that's missing is this love of God that comes through the Spirit is a huge ingredient. It changes everything. It heals everything. 
It, it causes 1 Corinthians 13, which is the great love chapter, the way we're supposed to be, to actually be an experience, not just a nice poem. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. But look at verse 1 of 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Now this is a very important part. His commands are not burdensome. This is the love of God. His commands are not burdensome. So I found, as I've been experiencing the love of God, and it's been released in my life, a new ability to gladly do God's commands. Matter of fact, to search after them, to agree with God, to want to be in that space. Not to always being pulled back. And every kind of command and thing in the Bible becomes a delight, uh, not a problem. So I'm just saying that, um, and I, one thing I noticed, because I'd been baptized with the Spirit and empowered and done a lot of power things in my life up to that point, and, uh, and continue to do so, and seeing God move in great power. But it's amazing. It's almost as if the power can flow on a whole other dimension of God and revelation as well, getting somebody's phone number or their name. But I've seen many prophetic people, not many, I'll just say a few, very powerful prophetic people that actually become messed up because they actually have a gift that allows them to see into people's hearts, lives. Uh, there's healing gifts that flow through them. It's in the realm of power. But their heart isn't rooted in love, right? Hasn't had an encounter with God in love. And maybe they've been broken in some way or another by a divorce or something in their life. And they have tremendous authority, but they're unloved. And so they don't do well when more responsibility comes. Same with wealth. I've seen wealth, lots of wealth, or the pursuit of wealth crush so many marriages. But wealth is a gift from God. It's not that we shouldn't have wealth. It's meant for further use. But trying to handle wealth without the love of the Father is like getting too far back on a fire hose, you know. It just, we start spraying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, because we're not controlled from the inside. And so many temptations, the enemy doubles up his attempt to ruin our life when wealth comes. So love secures the heart in a way that we can actually handle power. Three dimensions, really, of the supernatural. One is revelation, one is power, and the other is love. These are three dimensions, and the most powerful of them all is love, because love brings direction. Love helps us understand how to walk with our life, how to handle the power, how to handle money, how to handle, how to handle, handle authority, because we're tender on the inside. The most important thing to us is to hear God's voice, to feel God's presence, right? It's the only thing that really satisfies us. And then as we walk that out in our marriage and our family, we begin to walk that love. When we are shown mercy, we give mercy. Blessed are the merciful, the Bible says. Right? And so merciful comes when you receive mercy. And it happens at a much level, a deeper level. Obviously, like I walked into the vineyard, thank God, and, and I, I'll tell you something about the vineyard that is so lovely and um, is, is so great is that uh, in heaven, um, really God's name, the vineyard movement, uh, one of the names he gives us is mercy or compassion. It's in the genes. That's why I kept encountering it, didn't understand it, right? There's so few movements that have that as a, as a core, right? That, that's why 
that for me, like uh, the the way what we do with the weak and the poor and the housing and the food and the ministries and everything, they're just a flow of that expression. But there's actual angelic power, like authority in that arena. We have that. And we have an, a, a tremendous power in worship. And they go together really, really well. And signs and wonders are another part that we've been given. But this love part to me has always been uh, the best. And, um, and when we don't do mercy... Um, then we're not us. But you can give mercy even in a way that's religious. You can like hand food out and do all this stuff. And I've seen that religious spirit before where people are doing that and it's not very attractive to me. So I never wanted to have a warehouse or do what we do with the nations or whatever in, in a religious way. I always want to do it out of the, from the freedom of my heart and everything that we give. I want to do it freely. I don't want to get it any... And I can smell in that particular area a religious spirit 10 miles away. Because there's a lot of religiosity going out even for the sake of the weak, right? And even whole philosophies and, and even whole governmental systems and everything. But simple compassion for the weak is where the action is and where, where God is, right? So if you look at 2B on your outline, uh, I said God's commands are not burdensome. Then Bill Quee's shake, again, going back to her. I got this out of her book. She said to God, I will obey you. I always thought it a sacrifice to give up my own will, but it's no sacrifice because it keeps me close to you. How could your presence be a sacrifice? So she realized that when she did certain things, she felt closer to God, reading her Bible, going to church. These were two main things and other things. But for her, she realized it would take sacrifice, it would take some of her time to go do what God commanded her to do. But because of the love that was inside of her, because she just actually, when she did these things from a spirit of love, she just got more love back, right? So see, how could your presence be a sacrifice? So she's doing all this discipline stuff and working hard and all that, but she kept getting loved by God. The tenderness of God just coming, kept coming back on her, right? And so that's what she discovered. So she finally got converted. She got converted because of the love of the Father and a letter to Jesus, right? And she lived off the presence of God and she had almost no one to talk to her about Christianity. She just knew that though. And the Lord taught her and discipled her and brought her through the other scriptures and, and then more teaching brought her and helped her understand where Jesus was and all this and the whole thing, right? And I just say this. If you look at C in your ally, only God's love can change our appetite uh, for the world. And uh, I tell you, that's a really important thing there. Um, discipline only goes so far, but God's love does something else. This is prompted Paul to say this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Right? And then she goes on, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, yes. But it was more than that. It was not only that he had faith and he had discovered the faith message, and it was basically very, very opposite of what he had known about righteousness in the Old Testament sense. Faith is what saves, but the other dimension of it that opened the whole thing for him is faith working together with love causes a whole different alternate lifestyle. And you can even take faith and pervert it and twist it and move it to a place where it doesn't even connect with everything else. And in the name of faith, go do all kinds of things. But Paul's very clear about that in 1 Corinthians 13. Even though I move mountains, I, you know, even though I, and I have not love, but what he's talking about is 
not just loving, but he's talking about feeling love. And when I have that in my life, then it puts everything in perspective. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a huge chapter, and most of us know that chapter, and so I won't go through that. But let's get down to Roman numeral 3. When I feel connected to God's presence, I can discern and release the Father's compassionate heart all around me. If God is doing anything in the world, surely loving it is his priority. Something happens to our spiritual eyes toward others when we feel loved and accepted by God. We begin to see individuals, cultures, and the whole world differently. It's like we get the Father's eyes. And uh, I may be getting ahead of myself, but I want to make sure I say this a little bit before I finish today. Um, This Father's eyes thing is the most important thing of all to me. Because I think uh, right now especially... We have great trials and troubles going on in the world. And, and so we see people begging on the streets. We see people uh, all over the place. Uh, you know, just uh, poverty and difficulty and drug addiction has never become more visible than today. And uh, even in Laguna Niguel, beautiful Laguna Niguel, and granted, our probably our warehouse probably tracks our fair share of people, right? <laughs> on purpose. We're glad for it, right? But one thing I found is that sometimes it's very puzzling, these people, because some of them are addicted to drugs, uh, some of them are, in, are, are deep, deep into witchcraft or some kind of other false cult, some of them are uh, mentally ill, and trying to figure out how to love these sort of people is the church's greatest challenge and probably our culture's greatest challenge. So really what it boils down to is that we have to learn to love these people but with love comes wisdom, comes counsel, and comes faith, right? So we feel like uh, God's been giving us that kind of thing. And uh, as we've addressed these questions, these deeper questions in our culture, the only thing that gets us through to the other side is love. Because the thing is, the moment that you go out and to be a crusader and take that guy off the street or do this or this one, this one, you know, they'll stab you right in the back. They'll do something so crazy, so nutso, you give them all this stuff and they'll just go pollute or do, you know, that kind of thing. How, how do you keep loving that? Or how do you even address it, right? And so you have to start learning. I'm learning to start at the beginning. So love has a communication system. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him what He's doing. So what I'm learning to do is I'm learning to look at a person, look at a situation, and ask the Father, Lord, what are you doing here? What's my space? All I need to know with regard to the loss of broken people is what is my space? What am I supposed to do for that moment? That's it, right? And so sometimes what I found, and as we began to get deeper and deeper into homelessness, I found out that one of the biggest things that was messing me up was I wanted to think too far ahead. And as I began to think too far ahead, I began to think, man, this is going to cost a lot of money. Gee, (laughs) wow, I can't believe it. Wow. And then I'm thinking, wow, then then if that happened, then I'm going to, I can't put them over there because that's going to gonna, that's gonna ruin that neighborhood over there. And I'm thinking, what do I do down here? You know, what am I doing? You know, and all these things. But what I found is love will put you on a wisdom path. So you just need to commit to what you're going to do and just let the Lord lead you and he'll show you step by step what to do. You might make a mistake here or there, but even that's okay because you're okay with yourself. You feel love. Okay, sorry God, I made that. And so what you do is you learn. So right now, as a church and as an individual, me and our church and our leaders, we're in a learning curve. 
We're learning how to deal with the lonely, the broken, and this horrible drug addiction thing. See, God's willing to help you. You just got to be willing to work with Him a step at a time. And His love may not give you any more light than beyond your headlights. So you can't go beyond your headlights. If you go beyond your headlights, you'll get beyond where you're really at, right? But love sometimes will extend your headlights from now until the moon. Other times it'll restrict you so close you just this you can't go any farther than this with a person, an individual, or situation. You're not ready. And then sometimes God'll quicken it, and you're just your headlights are all the way to the next neighborhood. God, God, how am I going to do this? Our headlights went that far with regard to the school. I thought we'd just do a little school on the side. I didn't know. Like we're already high school and keep moving. My headlights went. I went way farther than I thought they were supposed to go. You know, they just kept going and going and going, right? But we had to walk through the first steps to know, and that's the way it is with individuals. That's how you love people. God will teach you. Matter of fact, one of the deepest things about love is if you feel loved yourself, you, your hearer comes in place, and you get confident that you're hearing. So you can stop or you can go. You have complete freedom to go all the way and give everything you have, or to give nothing. You have complete freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But I can add something to it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is and love is, and you know compassion, then you don't have any religious spirit barking in your ear, condemning you around every turn when you don't do this right or that right, or you didn't handle that person. And believe me, there's plenty of people in the room, plenty of people around you, that if you didn't handle a certain person a certain way, they're barking at you saying, don't you love people? Don't you have compassion on them? You might have showed compassion to 15,000 people before, but when it came to that one, you know, I don't even worry anymore. Because when you live from compassion, you're okay. You just go to the Father. Father, do I check out on this or not? You're okay, boy. Go ahead. Thank you. Ah, there's other time. Father, did I do all right? No, you probably got a little bit tight on that one. I think you probably need to go back and fix that. But all the while, God's voice is there. You can only hear God's voice when God's love there is there. That's where you hear it clearly to me. As long as I'm pleasing God... I'm okay. I don't have to jump. When anybody says jump, I don't have to do. I can, I'm free. I'm free, right? <laughs> Sometimes that freedom will take you into a deep commitment. <laughs> Marriage is one of those commitments, right? But there's resource. If you have to commit to a deep thing, I mean, I've thought about everything from buying hotels to you name it, and I've been willing to do any of it. He knows. I'm willing. I'll step into it. I, you know, the thing is about those things, we get in trouble because God will take you on a road, a trip. He doesn't take you all at once to take you and let you walk it out, right? You don't have to go and try to have a knee-jerk reaction. See, the thing is about love, it just brings great peace. There's sacrifice, but sacrifice in a way that God helps you handle it. He helps you. He walks with you. He holds your hand. He doesn't condemn you and say, you're not being good enough to this person. You're not doing that enough, like that, that condemning thing. He never does that. He says, have you considered what he, that's the way he does it. Have you considered? And if it's got love in it, you go, <gasps> are you kidding me? Whenever I hear that word, are you gonna have, I'm going to get involved with that? Yeah. Have you considered? That's what he did with the school. Have you considered? <laughs> Whenever I hear that. I mean, it might not be exactly those words, but you know. Have you considered? <laughs> considered the horrible state our education is. Have you considered that? And look at over there. And have you considered what your kid's going to do when they go to high school? And I'm start talking like that, right? And then he had me at, have you considered? But it was the Father's love that got me there. Fear is the opposite of love. Perfect love casts out fear. Love will take you farther, make you take more risks than you'd ever take with fear or a, spirit of, a religious spirit of condemnation. A religious spirit is our worst enemy for the times that we live in. 
Sometimes you have to forgive me. You know, sometimes I, I see our church people and Christians, and I see them, they, get in, they fall out of love and they get into a religious spirit. Oh my gosh, can you get into a religious spirit? You can get a religious spirit about anything right now. Everything from politics on down. You've got to stay out of that space. Right? God will take you farther than you would ever go on your own. More sacrifice, more effectively in every area. And by the way, God is very interested in politics. He's interested in all of it. But He has a way. He'll take you on your path. What you're supposed to do. What your church is supposed to do. What Christianity is supposed to do. All the while, it's being fanned by the freedom that love brings, is really what we're talking about, right? So look at the very bottom of our outline. We commit ourselves to promoting the joyful, to promoting the joyful family business. That's the way I like to call it, right? Let's look at a couple of verses here, and we'll finish here, all right? John chapter 15. Can you feel the compassion of God in the room? He's here. <laughs> I can feel him. Some of you are going to get uh, a bath today. You're going to get a religious spirit washed off of you. And you're going to get a reassurance of God inside of you. And I believe God's going to minister to you today. Religious spirit is a punishing, difficult place to be. It's always condemning with no answers. It's always nudging you, pushing on you, shoving you with no way out, right? No wisdom. John 15, 15 to 17. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. This is really important. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. I love this. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So he calls us his friends and he gives us his eyes to see what he's doing in any situation. And so now I, I, I'm very conscious that someday I'm going to preach a sermon on my father's eyes. Because when I look at a person, uh, especially when we look at the needy, because they're all around us these days and decisions we make, I, I'm trying to look with the father's eyes. Father, what are you doing today? What are you doing in this situation? If you don't feel the love of God and you haven't been through it enough, then you're kind of insecure in the beginning. But as you learn more about it, then you can make decisions. And sometimes, you know, everybody has an opinion about what the pastor should do or not do, right? <laughs> about all kinds of things, right? But I tell you what, if you don't feel love, you can feel like a ping pong ball, right? You can't please anybody. So I just pleased the Father, and I turned up, ended up pleasing pretty most, much most everybody else, right? But sometimes I get out of that into a religious place. That's when I get in my deepest trouble. And you do too. That's why it's so important that we find God's love. We find intimacy with God. See, if you say, I need to be intimate with God, that can take you down another rabbit trail. Like, okay, I've got to be intimate. I've got to spend more time in the Word. I've got to spend more time in the Word. I've got to spend more time praying. More, more time praying. I've got to, i got to, i got to. Tell you what, just get rid of the agadas. You'll do more when God's with you in an honest, loving relationship you take you to the ends of the earth with your Bible, <laughs> your disciplines, whatever. But you cannot do deep things in the Lord, sacrificial things in the Lord, without the love, without the compassion, without a sense, because it bring, makes you confident then to bear the heat of the day. Uh, because sometimes we get into these sort of ministries where we want to go be helpful, right? It's, it's, it's heavy, it's hard. 
As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is the family business. This is what we get to do. And all of it's got its roots in compassion and love. And I keep seeing that crazy statue out in front of Anaheim Vineyard with the guy washing the feet. Jesus washing the feet. How many of you have seen that statue? I don't know what that is, man. I see that almost every time I stand up and preach. That's amazing. It was, I think maybe... I think maybe that's because at the root of our entire movement and our church is compassion. That's different than religious works. Religious works, one thing. I'll tell you what, doing a lot of religious works can make you dry as a bone and feel uncomfortable and feel worse than when you started, even though you're doing great things. But when compassion's there, you do it for free. You don't expect anything back, and you do it gladly. And if you mess up, you say, God, I messed up. And you say, well, that's okay. Let's try to do it a little bit better this time, right? That kind voice is what's in our movement. It's what's in our church. Uh, if you do things that we do, different kinds of things, it's so easy to fall into a religious spirit. And when you do it, persecutes your soul. You're doing good things, but you don't feel happy about it, you know? I've seen some of the most religious places I've ever been doing the greatest works and nobody's happy. <laughs> Nobody likes anybody. <laughs> How can that be? Well, it all has its basis in we have to start with the love of God for God's to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. That love wasn't just a judicial love. It was an intimate, personal love. And God wants to give that to you. Luke 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. I saw fate, uh, uh, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions that overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to to do. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the wisdom in the world. We don't have to have all the money in the world. We just have to be kids. Loved kids. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one who knows the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. What a beautiful section. Then He said to His disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Did you know there are prophets and kings out there that need to hear what we hear? They can't hear, but we can. Right? And they're all looking for this thing, and some of them with good heart to solve the problems, but they, they long to hear what we actually have right here in our midst, the voice of our Father speaking to us. As we begin to release the Father's love, there's just tremendous reward. And I just think that as we move deeper and deeper into elements of compassion, personally and corporately, let me just say this. You'll never regret it. You cannot ever outgive, out-sacrifice God. Ever. Right? Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? 
to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free. That's our job. That's what we do. And we're equipped to do it. And the dominant thing that helps us do it is love. It makes us patient. It makes us powerful. It makes us sacrificial. It makes us wise. Anything else enslaves us, makes us dumb, stupid, and we end up wondering why we ever tried in the first place. But this is what we do. We loose the chains of injustice. We set the oppressed free. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. I see so many families that are so dissolved, and fathers turn away from sons, and brothers turn away from sisters because they're mentally ill, or there's an addiction issue, or. What a horrible thing. Not enough space in the house, not enough money. People wandering the streets, kicked out of their own home. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. This is the good part for us. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your guard, your rear guard. So when we do all these things, when we see the naked and clothe them, when we we don't turn away from our own flesh and blood when we provide the poor wanderer with shelter when we share our food with the hungry. Look what the promises. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. I don't get any light from thinking that um, we're going to politically triumph in some way or that the church is somehow going to be this triumphant voice and have a political thing and boss everybody around. My light's going to break forth from here. My light will break forth when I do these things. Not that that's not important, that we get it right with politics and all, but still, this is our job here. This is a basic job that all of us get to do. Your light will break forth like the dawn. That sounds pretty good. Oh, wait, wait a minute. That, that party out there, that party, how, how could my light break forth like the dawn and such and such is in control? Gee, Jesus is bigger. They go right around that guy, right around anybody. Get to you. Make your light break forth like the dawn. Let your healing quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. What, what preceded all that? Oh, here. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Okay, okay, naked, okay. Not to, okay, then. Oh, well, okay, there it is. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. He didn't say what I'm calling about, but I would assume that's about everything in my life. My marriage, my family, my kids, my job. Then you'll call, and the Lord will answer. This is where all the action is, evidently. I can call out, and the Lord will answer. When you cry for help, He'll say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He'll always know what to do. He will satisfy your needs in a sword scorched land, and He will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never, never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, 
and raise up the age-old foundations, you'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I volunteer for that. I want to do that. I want to be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Lord, would you release your love in us to do that? Why don't we all stand? Lord, we just volunteer for all these things. <laughs> and by the way, you don't have to be super spiritual or super like, that's the one thing about everybody gets to do this at their own level. Whenever we think about things like this, we think about the great Mother Teresa's of the world, you know, and all this stuff, and we always just go too far. Just go right where you are. Live it out right where you are. Don't forget the love part that you need. <laughs> don't forget the compassion. And then just begin to love. Remember I told you that story of Mother Teresa when I met her. And, you know, she basically said, look, see, and do something about it. And I laughed at her. It was really embarrassing. I, 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 and I tried to put it back, but it was embarrassing. She's down there. She's got her finger up like that. I mean, you know, because I'm thinking, I just walked by five lepers, you know, three persons with tuberculosis, a cripple who was hobbling around, 17 people didn't have enough food. I mean, they were laid out all over the place. And I walk in there, you know, and I'm trying to invite her to something. I've told you the story before, and, and, and then she says, you know, this is what I would do. I would look, I would see, and I would do something about it. And I'm thinking about Orange County, and I'm thinking, Orange County, good grief. I just walked through a leper colony, and I'm supposed to, you know. And so I said, and I laughed, and she said, why are you laughing? You know, and I said, well, you don't know where I live. I live in Orange. She says, where do you live? And I said, Orange County, California. And she says, you are wrong. I've been to Orange County, California. They're everywhere. You know, wow. It sort of woke me up, you know, and then... That word was rattling around in my brain for about eight or year, seven or eight years until finally when I lost all my tenants during the last recession, I decided, well, maybe I'll open the warehouse and put a little food in it. Let's <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> well, it turns out that was just the beginning of all kinds of things that have happened since then, right? But she was right. I don't care where you live. I don't care how wealthy you are. God has things for you to do. And I'll do it from here first. Whatever you do, don't get tangled up in that religious spirit. It'll cut you down every time. You'll do stupid stuff. You'll do it and then regret you did it. And then you think, the first time someone, like, you give them something to eat, you know, and, or you give them a place to stay and then they stab you in the back or whatever. Believe me, it's all there. Only love can help you to get your equilibrium and just learn and just do better, right? And, and whatever. And then who knows? People go through all kinds of cycles. I just feel like I'm at a commissioning party here today. Lord, I commission us in the name of Jesus to do more of what we've been doing and for all of us to learn the love of the Father. I pray you just bring uh, compassion on the inside of us, Lord. When we have the worship team come up, Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus for the compassion of the Lord to fall on us. Uh, I've never done this quite this way before. Um, I'd like to pray for specific groups of people and I'd like to um, maybe ask God to bring his love on all of us. If you have a loved one that's on the street right now, could you come up to the front over here? If you have a loved one that's on the street, just 
you could come up, I want to pray for you and I pray for them. If you have a loved one that's on the street right now, you might not even know where they are right now. Would you just come over here? They're homeless, on the street, maybe addicted to something. Just come over here. If you have a loved one that's in uh, has a severe addiction, um, could you stand over here? And they might be one of the same, so if you get confused. <laughs> if you have a loved one that's in a severe addictive place, it might be something simple or something profound like heroin or... Why don't you stand over here? Could you stand over on this side? If you have a son or a daughter that's completely lost, you might not even know where they are right now, physically. I want you just to come up to a son or a daughter that's just lost. You might not even know where they're living right now. They're just gone. If you have a close relative that's homeless right now and your family does not know what to do with them you just don't know what to do with them and you're just at a loss you don't know what to do you're just tried and tried and tried and you just keep trying you just come up here to the front here you got a family member that's uh, in a difficult space and you just don't know what to do with them it might be drugs it might be alcohol it might be they're just out on the street somewhere they might be in a different state a different country If you have, if you in this room or in this place or if you have a relative that's sick and they have some kind of illness and they just don't seem to be able to get well, could you just come up for them or you come up yourself, okay? And we'll pray for them. It might be a kidney issue. It might be some sort of other issue, right? So if I could have, um, who has a relative that's sick? Jesus, I pray, God, from this place, all of our sick relatives, especially ones that are really ill, Lord, we pray, God, you would save their life today. I pray that what we pray right now would be a life-saving prayer, that they would not die, they would live. And those that have illnesses that don't seem to get well, we ask you, God, that you would just hear from heaven as we cry out to you. We pray you'd bring healing, either through us or through some other emissary or ambassador. May they stumble across someone if they're in a faraway place and we don't even know where they are. I pray for divine appointments for every one of our children. We don't know where they are. Every one of our relatives, we have no idea where they are, where they're going. They might be in a different, distant country or place. Would you find them? Would you father them? Would you house them, Lord? Would you be after them, Lord? Would you take them in? Would you have a stranger take them in, Lord, and help them and have mercy on them in Jesus' name? We pray for them all. And all these things that are going on, Lord, up here, everyone that's standing right here, may you minister your Father's heart to them. May your deep compassion come on them. May you tell them, Lord, you're going to be okay. One of the greatest voices you could hear today is, I'm going to be okay. Father, please have mercy on me. Please touch my heart. Tell me I'm going to be okay. Talk to us about that, Lord. I hear the Father saying that, I'm, you're going to be all right. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. One thing that I'm learning to do as I walk the world these days is I'm learning to get the Father's eyes for people so I don't turn aside nearly as quickly as I used to. And I don't have to be the great Savior of them. I just learn to turn, just take aside, take a moment with them. 
just talk with them, maybe give them some money or whatever. I release the Father's eyes to you. Not a religious spirit, the Father's eyes to help in a time of need. Father's eyes to take an extra moment with that child, an extra moment with that person, and just bless them with some money or give them a hug or a prayer. I release the Father's eyes to you. May God show you what He's doing. Not what some religious spirit is shaming you to do, but what He's doing. I release the Father's house, the Father's eyes over our congregation. Wherever you go, you know the Father's eyes because you give it away for free. You have no regrets, even if the person doesn't respond very well. That might be your own son or daughter. That might be a neighbor down the road, or it might be some person on the side of the street. I pray for the release of the Father's eyes. I feel the Spirit of the Father on this room so heavy. So you that have Father's eyes for people, you might, on our ministry team, you might want to come and pray for a person that you feel led to pray for. Just put your hand on their shoulder. But the Lord's ministering so strong right now, I can feel Him. And so let's just worship a little bit, and you just let the Lord fall on you. And just take a moment, I just encourage you, before you walk away, just take a moment and say, Father, would you just land on my heart and soften it and tenderize it? In my everyday life, would you show me what to do next, what to do in this situation, in that situation? We volunteer, Lord, to be your Father's heart in the land, to be your servant. Just help us, Lord, to be loved and feel your compassion on us and hear your voice. In Jesus' name, I pray you do that with us, Lord. We volunteer. So I like to do is you worship, and they're just going to pray for each other. And uh, maybe someone will come alongside you and pray with you. Maybe you just be feeling the Lord's compassion. I can feel compassion on resting on you. Whatever you do, just if you have to leave, just be real careful when you go, because the Lord's compassion is resting on people. And if you're in a moment like that with the Lord, don't leave too quick. Just stay. And if you find yourself in an intercessory place for someone that maybe is broken, a friend, a relative, or whatever, or whatever you can just feel God loving you and giving you a hug and making you feel okay you know just stay in that space for a little while before you go okay don't go too quick Holy Spirit you're so welcome Father I pray you would love your congregation today and give us wisdom show us what to do and heal us talk to us soften us equip us to be your people Lord and to have answers Lord from your presence compassion of Jesus fall on this place love of the Father rest on each one may your love greet us this morning and also tonight when we go to sleep we wake up in the morning may the Father's love be close come Lord come in Jesus name Amen we're just going to stay here and worship and pray for each other if you need to go you could quietly leave that would be awesome and uh, God bless you thanks for coming today